Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the decree of Cyrus as we pick up in Ezra, chapter 1, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Let's turn now to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra, the first part, was probably written by Ezra, but written from the records. Actually, at the time that Cyrus gave the decree to build the temple, Ezra wasn't even alive. Ezra doesn't come into the story into a first-hand account until you get to chapter 7. The first six chapters deal with the first of the repatriation of the nation Israel after the Babylonian captivity. Now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now, he mentions here, in order that the word of the prophecy of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. And as you turn to Jeremiah chapter 25, we find that the Lord had predicted that they would be in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Jeremiah 25, 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it. And then also in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, they are thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. And ye shall call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. I will gather you from all of the nations and from all of the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. All right, now turn to Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books 
the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to God and made my confession and so forth. So that uh, Daniel, knowing the prophecy of, of Jeremiah that the period of captivity would be 70 years, during this period, he began to seek the Lord as to what part the Lord might have him to play in the repatriation of Israel. Now, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. Now remember, now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Now, in, in Isaiah 44, 28, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and I shall perform all my, and he shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings. You remember how old Belshazzar, it says that his knees smote together uh, the night that uh, he heard that, uh, uh, he saw the handwriting on the wall. And it says that, that his knees began to smite one against another. And, uh, and so here's a prophecy of that experience that uh, Belshazzar had. I will loose the loins of the kings to open before him the two levied gates, and the gates shall not be shut. And I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. I will give thee the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of secret places, that you may know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel." For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though you have not known me. So here the prophecy of Isaiah was uttered 200 years before this particular event where we read, now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, the fellow that even according to Isaiah, the man that God named, said, I have named you. Even though you haven't known me, God named him 200, 150 years before he was born. God named him and declared that he would be the one that would allow the people to go back and to start rebuilding the temple. So fascinating prophecies. Many of the, you see how much scripture is tied together in really just the first verse here of Ezra uh, as we see the prophecies of Isaiah, the prophecies of Daniel, for Daniel predicted that the Medo-Persian Empire would overthrow the Babylonian Empire. And of course, the prophecies of Jeremiah, the 70 years of their captivity in Babylon, and then that God would release them from that captivity. So uh, it's exciting when you start seeing the things fall together. When uh, you know that the Lord said 70 years will be your time of captivity and, and you can count and you know when 70 years are up, you start getting excited. All right, God's going to start moving, you know, because the 70 years are about up. When Cyrus is the name of the general that takes over in Babylon, then you really get excited. 
because you know that God said, hey, I've called you by your name, and I've surnamed you, though you haven't even known me, and you will do my bidding, you'll do my desires, and allowing the people to go back from their captivity. So uh, you see things beginning to come together, and there's always a lot of anticipation and excitement, and hey, the day in which we live today is just that kind of a day because we see things coming together. And it's exciting to see the things happening in the world because all of a sudden we say, yeah, that's what the prophet Ezekiel said was going to be. Yeah, that's what the Lord said would happen there in Isaiah. Yes, and, and you see how God is setting the whole thing together and we're moving again to a period of history just like it was here in the first chapter of Ezra where God is getting ready to fulfill his promises and his word and he has set the stage. Things are coming to pass and there's just an excitement in the air because you know that God's word is being fulfilled around you and you know what's going to be happening. As God has declared these events, they're going to take place. So we look at the world today. And for us as Christians, it's really exciting. And uh, so uh, we rejoice that God has given to us advance warning, advance notices, uh, so that uh, we will actually believe when we see these things happen. Jesus said, I've told you these things before they come to pass so that when they come to pass, you might believe. And so it's always exciting to live in those periods of history when God starts to put things together and you know, hey, this is the time that the prophets were speaking about. These are the events God said was gonna, were, were going to take place. Wow, this is it. Look at that, you know. And you see the whole thing beginning to just sort of well together and it's just really exciting times. Now, Daniel had predicted that the Medo-Persian Empire was going to overthrow the Babylonian Empire and Daniel actually became a counselor. He was a counselor in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. However, by the time that Belshazzar, his grandson, came around, Daniel was sort of in retirement and uh, when the handwriting came on the wall, they brought Daniel in. And Belshazzar really didn't know him. Uh, are you that Daniel that, you know, helped my grandfather and so forth? And, uh, and Daniel then interpreted the dream for Belshazzar, telling him that that night his kingdom was going. That was it. He had had it. His days were numbered and finished. That was all for him. And he, he had a very short span on the scene. Daniel was probably at this time uh, close to 90 years old. He probably lived to be 110, 115. He lived to the time that the temple was rebuilt. And uh, he, because it was uh, Darius who gave the order to start work again. Cyrus gave the order to start. And about 50,000 of the Jews returned, as we will be reading, and started rebuilding the temple and, and resettling the land. Then, actually, Cyrus was removed. Another king came in who wrote and stopped the building of the temple. And then Darius came on the throne, and he wrote and started the whole project again about 16 years later. Now, it is the same Darius that was a close friend of Daniel. It was Darius the king who 
was tricked into making the decree, if anyone prays to any god other than me for 30 days, you know, let him be thrown in the lion's den. And he signed this proclamation, and then they came and said, hey, uh, there's a guy down here that broke your law, and he's got to go in the lion's den. And he said, who is it? It's Daniel. And of course, he was grieved because he loved Daniel, and he sought all day to try and reverse things, but the laws of the Medes and the Persians could not be changed once it had been sealed. And so he encouraged Daniel. He said, Daniel, the God you serve, he is able to deliver you out of the hand of the lions. And Daniel said, don't worry, I'm an old, tough customer, you know, and they, uh, I'll get by okay. So uh, they threw Daniel into the lion's den, and of course the king didn't sleep all night long. He was really troubled over the whole thing. And in the morning, went out early, and I like it. The scripture said, and he cried in a lamentable voice. Oh, Daniel, it just, however the lamentable voice was, he's just, you know, sort of in a, in a lament, it was, is your God able to deliver you? And he says, ah, live forever, king, you know, God sent an angel down and stopped the mouths of the lions and I'm in good shape. So they brought Daniel out and then the guys that conspired against Daniel were tossed into the lion's den and before they could even hit the bottom of the den, they were devoured of the lions. Now, this is the Darius that we will get to in a little while who gave the order to start building again, even ordered them to pay whatever money they needed to, to help. So we'll start putting this story together for you as we move along. So Cyrus the king made a proclamation that whatever people there were of the Israelites who wanted to return could go up to Jerusalem and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, for he is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remains in any place where he sojourns, let the men of this, his place help him with silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So there rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, and all of them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is at Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver and gold and goods, with beasts and precious things, beside all that was willingly offered. And Cyrus the king sent, brought forth vessels out of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus the king of Persia bring forth by the hand of Mithridath the treasure and numbered them unto the prince of Judah and the number of them were 30 charges of gold, 1,000 charges of silver, nine, uh, 29 knives and so forth. Now, uh, it was the policy of the Assyrians and of the Babylonians when they conquered people to take them out of their land and to uh, just place them in other lands that they might lose their national identity and they might lose any fighting spirit. It was the policy of the Persians. They were far more humane than were the Assyrians or the Babylonians, and the Persians' policy was to sort of repatriate the people. Now, it is mentioned here that those of Judah, the Levites, and Benjamin. Later on, we'll find that it also mentions those of Manasseh and those of Ephraim that returned. I make mention of that because there is what is referred to as the ten lost tribes of Israel, and those who tried to make an identity of the Anglo-Saxon nations with Israel and uh, say that we are a part of the ten lost tribes. Uh, 
Uh, the Bible never refers to ten lost tribes. In fact, in the New Testament, there are references to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. And uh, there were people from the twelve tribes that were living and still identified with those tribes during the times of the New Testament. And so you really don't have lost tribes. That's sort of a misnomer that people have developed saying the 10 lost tribes. Even here, there were those from the tribe of Benjamin, which was, well, that was a part of Judah and Benjamin were together. But then those of Manasseh, those of Ephraim, and the Levites. And of course, you have the tribe of Judah, uh, so that uh, even already we have many of the tribes identified. And by the New Testament, Paul the apostle said he was of the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, he knew the tribe from which he came. And of course, there were the Levites and all during the time of Jesus Christ. So uh, they may not know their identity today as to which tribe they're from. It isn't necessary. It was only necessary to, re, to keep the tribal distinctions until the coming of Jesus Christ. It had to be that he was of the tribe of Judah, and once he came forth from the tribe of Judah, not necessary to keep tribal distinctions any longer. It was all fulfilled. But God knows where they are. In fact, God is going to seal them, 12,000 from each tribe, in just a very short time as he gets ready to put the final touches upon the whole earth system uh, before the return of Jesus Christ, God is going to seal 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel, 144,000 altogether. So God knows exactly who they are, where they are, and all, even though they themselves may not know what tribe they're from, yet the Lord does know. So here they are returning to Jerusalem, as I said, some 50,000. And in chapter 2, it gives you uh, the names of the people and the families that came and the numbers that came with them. Beginning in, or in verse 36 to 39, you have the priests that returned. And then beginning with verse 40, the Levites that returned. And then Solomon's servants that return. Now in verse 61, there were some of the Levites that were returning who could not find their names in the register. Among those that were reckoned by genealogy, they, they just couldn't find their names there. That is, they could not accurately trace their family history. They could not trace themselves back to the tribe of Levi. Therefore, they were as polluted and they were put out of the priesthood. Uh, they were not allowed to minister or to function as a priest or to receive the offerings, the tithes, or the uh, dues that were given to the priest in those days because they could not prove their pedigree. They couldn't trace their names in the records. And they were kept out of the priesthood until such a time as they could find a priest with the Urim and the Thummim in order that they might inquire of the Lord and, and determine if these men really belonged to the priesthood or not. Now, the Urim and the Thummim uh, are this uh, 
thing that the priest, the high priest, wore upon his chest. And the words mean lights and perfections. Just what they were, we really don't know. But they would use the Urim and the Thummim to inquire of the will of God. Now, the common theory is that it was a little pouch with a black stone and a white stone. And they would ask a question, and the priest would say, Lord, give us a perfect lot, you know, and he would reach in to the little bag and pull out a stone. If it was the black stone, then the answer was no. If it was the white stone, the answer was yes. And they used this method to ascertain the will of God uh, in certain things. Keep asking questions, keep pulling out the stones, and uh, if you pulled out the white stone, then answer yes. If you pulled out the black stone, the answer no. So this is what some have theorized the Urim and the Thummim to be. Just what it was, we don't know. It was a method by which the high priest received God's answer for the people and God's directions for the people. It was some type of device by which divine guidance was given to the people. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Ezra on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Ezra 1 through 2 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May God bless you and keep his hand upon your life. May the Lord be with you. May he minister to your life in such a way that you'll be very conscious of the presence of God. And may you just recognize his nearness and his grace and his love and just be overwhelmed by the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. For years, Pastor Chuck was asked thousands of questions. This new guy that my mom married, he thinks that the Christian beliefs are foolish, and I was wondering if that's going to like affect my mom's walk. 
I'm a Christian. I'm trying to fight the addiction of smoking. And are those things going to keep me from going in the rapture? Is it okay to use your tithe and give it to someone who's going on a mission trip instead of giving it directly to church? The Word for Today is pleased to present an ebook called Biblical Counseling by Chuck Smith, listing over 200 topics that include Pastor Chuck's commentary and the scripture references he used. Topics include addiction, business relationships, depression, lawsuits, sexuality, training children, and so much more. To download the Biblical Counseling ebook by Chuck Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link provided. Or you can call 1-800-272-9673.